exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down I'm C.J. Layton coming to you from inside the Phantom Radio Studios in Lake Wales, Florida home of the premier radio bowling talk show. Long ago, Bowler's Journal International called Phantom Radio a pioneer in the field of bowling podcasts because the show was regularly scheduled at the same time each week. The late Kegel owner, the great John Davis, told Len Nicholson to start this program because, quote, people need to know what you know, end quote. This PBA and bowling writer Hall of Famer has now recorded over 1,200 shows and has featured over 425 guests since 2002. 20 years plus of bowling knowledge, story sharing, and true expertise. Phantom, we need to know what you know. So Phantom fans, here's your host, Len Nicholson, the Phantom. Well, thank you, CJ. And a reminder that Phantom Radio is presented by the Kegel Company, the number one lane maintenance company in the world. For all of your lane maintenance needs, including 24-hour technical support, you can always rely on the Kegel Company. So go to kegel.net. Well, Phantom fans, this week he's back again, our special guest, and he's a true student of the game. He started his bowling career at age 19 as a league bowler, and then he watched the PBA tournament and decided that bowling would be his career. And in order to achieve his goal as a pro bowler, he worked for free with the best lane men in California to see and learn what made that part of the game tick. And doing this allowed him to practice an enormous amount of games to develop the game that eventually got him to the pro level. And little did he know that the knowledge that he acquired as a lane man would eventually land him a job with the PBA, first as the regional activities director, coordinating all the regional tournaments, then as the PBA's first lane maintenance director. And he loves to coach and share his vast knowledge. He won twice on Pro Bowler's Tour. So here he is again, my buddy, Sam Baca. Hello, Sam, and welcome back to the show. Pleasure being here, Len. Well, I've been looking forward to this, just like I looked forward to last week's show. And as you know, we're paying tribute to players from the past. And because I've promised to never forget the past, its history and tradition of the PBA. And this week, again, we'll be talking about PBA and USBC Hall of Famer Jim Godman. And nobody is better to talk about Jim than you, Pards. So having said that, we talked last week about how he got started. You recognized him as an up-and-coming star, as a junior bowler, and you helped him out with his game. And then you took him around the Bay Area and taught him about pressure and action and bowling pot games against some of the best players. And then eventually, when he was 18, did you talk him into bowling on the PBA tour? Oh no, he was. He had saw. You know, he got 
uh, excited about what he saw on TV. Uh, he was really interested in the uh, possibility of becoming a pro. Matter of fact, uh, he went out before I recommended he went out. Um, I, I kind of wanted him to uh, get a little bit more experience, and he went out with uh, not a lot of uh, bowling in, uh, let's say, um, challenge local challenge tournaments that were around, like Capital Bowl singles, Modesto singles, Fourth uh, of July classic stuff like that. I was still around in the Bay Area and wanted him to get his feet a little bit wet. So he went out anyway, and he didn't start good. Uh, the first half of the summer, uh, I had to come home because my son was going to be born. The second half of the tour, he bowled well enough to become rookie of the year. That was 65, I believe. The thing about Jimmy was uh, he wasn't, he, he was so talented. He was a little hard to coach at times. Uh, for instance, until he came out on the tour and he went through the the hardship of not cashing right away, he was hard to teach angles because he always in the you know Bay Area he could dominate when we were bowling and just about anything um, the condition against the local players. But once you got out on the tour, you had all these different surfaces back in the sixties. You know, sometimes you had to play the corner, you know, off the gutter or Sometimes you had to go deep inside or maybe even play a fallback shot, you know, which is unheard of anymore. But you you played the smooth wood on the left of the pocket and you kept that high high in the pocket. And you that was the best way to compete against the lefties at that time. So uh, I always remember when um, Jimmy uh, learned in, how to play uh, inside. He was predominantly wanted to play around the track someplace. And uh, we went to Capitol Bold in downtown Sacramento when it was open, and they, they had a, a singles tournament there. And, you know, it had a handicap, and it also had scratch, uh, so you could cash in both of them. And uh, I took the lead playing inside, uh, the first you could bowl a couple times and uh, Jimmy was stubborn. He was still trying to play around the track area. Anyway, I took the lead in the tournament and the very last game of that first round, I talked him into going inside. Just try it, Jimmy, just try it. You, you'll, you'll find it be, you'll be comfortable. And finally that last game he moved in, um, he bowled good that game. So he said to me, he says, I'm going to try that again, try the tournament again. I said, of course. So I sat in the back and watched him, and naturally he beat me. He went in the first. We were first and second, but he beat me. First time I got him to play deep inside, he beats me out of the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I ended up rooming with him myself when I went out there in the early 70s, and I know that you had a lot of influence on him playing inside because – he was one of the best inside players of all time. And, you know, it's kind of funny. We talked last week, and, and I saw you on the telecast. Uh, you were bowling against Bill Allen uh, on YouTube on the Internet. So, and there you were playing inside again. I'm thinking, man, oh, man, Sammy, uh, you know, you won your two titles. Uh, let me ask you about that. Did you play inside on those, or how, how did you play in the two titles you won? 
I played two angles in Dallas when I won it. Uh, it was uh, one of those things where the surface was bad, and they put a lot of oil in the middle so that you could play, a, you know, right around, the, let's say, the 810 area. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, the story goes that uh, they Bill Allen bitched to the press that uh, that they were, you know, doing the lanes against the lefties, and so the guy, the guy that was running the tournament, uh, old Dallas Hartbow, he uh, crosswiped the lanes, and when I went in, I saw the the crosswipe marks, and I said, well, that track's going to break down, so. I, in that particular tournament, I ended up winning playing out around the five or seven boards, uh, avoiding the the grain of the wood, and everybody started dying, and I happened to win. <laughs> and the other tournament, uh, Edison was I played deep inside, uh, uh, you know, between the third and fourth arrow, and uh, San Jose, I did the same thing. Yeah, well, there was an obvious. Uh thing about you showing him how to play inside, you know, and I, I also heard, you know, not, not only have you really taught Jim a lot about bowling, but you taught a lot of guys, but I know you must have some stories because I did hear that you guys did room together sometimes and I roomed with him for four years, about four years, and I got about five years worth of stories. So, <laughs> you got a story that you can tell us? One thing about Jimmy, uh, uh, that was a story every week with him. You know, he was <laughs> he was quite a character. But I think um, the story that uh, I remember from bowling, you know, uh, was when he uh, when he when he won Waukegan, and I was in position to make the finals. Him and Butch were kind of hanging around, and I left them. They were in the bar partying. So that night I came down with determination that I was going to make the finals. And and Jimmy and and Butch, they got pretty well, you know, uh, elaborated. And I thought these guys are done already because I'm I was crossing next to Jimmy. And with Butch Gerhardt, who was in the bar with. Well, Butch had gotten so intoxicated that Harry Golden told him to skip bowling that last block. And Jim Godman went out, changed his whole angle, and shot, uh, at that time, probably a PBA record. Um, at that time, there wasn't a lot of 1500s for the, for, uh, uh, the six-game block. And he shot like 1490 or something like that and made the finals and went on to win the tournament. And I thought that was quite a feat because there ain't no way I'm, I would, I could drink, but I wasn't a good drunk before. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I don't think that they intended to get intoxicated, but you know, they thought they were out of the tournament and they were just going to party for a while. <laughs> well, I can just imagine, you know, Bush and Jim, you know, I think we've got to tell the audience uh, that uh, prior to me going out on a tour, uh, you lived right across the bay from where I lived. And uh, you came over to my house with Jim and, and Rich Karuba. And we talked about going out on a tour and, 
and all that kind of stuff. And then I ended up rooming with Butch and Don Glover and Jim Godman. They were called the G Squad back then. And yeah. uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, it was uh, the greatest time of my life as far as a period of time goes. Uh, I remember calling you every night. What do I do, Parts? What do I do? And you would tell me what to do. And, and we survived for seven years as partners doing the lanes on the tour. But uh, it was a great time. And, you know, all the guys that I know that you helped, uh, I'll never forget the the time you you were in Tucson and this young kid comes over and he, he says, I'm, I'm going pretty good, but I think I need some help. And his name was Paul Caldwell. And you said, oh, well, let me see you throw a couple. And you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> he ended up winning a tournament. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, Paul Caldwell, he was a good student. Oh, man. Well, you know, you had a knack, a, a technique of teaching people, you know, and it was an individual thing. You took their best parts and, and you, you enhanced them. And why don't you go ahead and brag a minute? And, and just give us a little rundown on, on some of the guys you helped out there. Oh, well, uh, let's see. I think it was, well, Godman, uh, Johnny Petraglia, Mark Roth won a couple of times. Uh, uh, he's Glover. Uh, uh, even have, uh, worked a little bit with Don Johnson a couple of times, you know, uh, with uh, – uh, you know, uh, angles when he first came out. Um, I, I can't think about Barry Asher. <laughs> well, I, I got a, I got a story to, to refresh your memory. There was a guy out there that he owed everybody money and he came to you and he says, Sam, I'm not bowling too good. Uh, can you help me out? And he had a real weird style. You took him down there. You showed him what to do. And he, he won back to back tournaments. Bobby Jacks, I guess you can't yeah. forget that, right? Yeah, and Bobby Jacks. Uh, yeah, he. Well, that's how Johnny ended up on on the list of guys that I helped. I I worked with Bobby Jacks, and he won Brockton. And that was his first title. And we went out in the summertime, and he was, just, I guess, having a problem, and came back to me, and he we worked on uh, what he should be doing and what he had forgot. And he won back-to-back -back titles, and then we went to Fort Smith, Arkansas, and J Johnny Petragula came to me and said, "Can you, can you help me?" And uh, long story short, I kind of lined him up on how to play an outside, change his swing a little bit, and then he won the tournament. He threw six gutter balls during the tournament, still won it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're being real humble because I remember the first part of that story when you helped Jacks. Johnny came to you and says, "Can you help me?" God, you helped that guy, and then you took him down there, and he says, I can't do that, Sam. And you says, well, when you think you can, come and see me. So a couple of weeks went by, and he wasn't doing too well. And finally, one morning at 5 o'clock in the morning, knocked on your door and said, Sam, I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> and then he won the tournament, man. That, that was unbelievable. Yeah. I like to say something about Jimmy. One thing about Jimmy was, uh, you know, he won a – I don't know how many titles, 12, probably the fire. He won the firestone twice. He, he, uh, won the masters from an off angle, uh, playing outside when nobody else was out there. Yep. 
One thing that a lot of people don't know is that he actually turned out to be a pretty good coach. We took a member, I think you might have worked a couple of the bowling camps where Jimmy was there. Yeah. That he was real good. The one feat that he did, if I have time to tell the story, the, the Saudi Arabians uh, called me up back when uh, they were having, you know, problems. Uh, uh, over there in the Middle East, and they asked me to be the coach. Would I be interested in being the coach? I said, well, there might be a war a, a war there soon. And they said, oh, oh Miss, but it'd be short war, they said. I said, okay, <laughs> well, call me after the war is over. <laughs> so, so they did. And Jimmy had, had coached at, um, in Reno, and he had coached for bowling camps. So when they called me up, and Jimmy had that, said, he was looking for, you know, uh, uh, work, work again. So when the Saudis called me back up, I said, I'll recommend Jim Godman. And lo and behold, I got a hold of Jimmy. They cut a deal. It was a good deal. And he went over to coach. Well, the Saudis had never won a medal of any kind in the, in the Middle East tour that they have. Yeah. And, uh, so and the part of the deal was you got like 500 if they won a bronze, a thousand if they got a silver, and uh, if they won you got two grand. That was your bonus besides your salary. Anyway, Jimmy Gama went over there. Not only did they win gold a couple of times, they won all three types of things. I don't know if they've ever done it again. But I know Jimmy did that in the one year that he was there. That was a hell of a feat. Yeah. I remember him calling, not calling, sending notes and stuff like that. And <laughs> he was a sensation over there. Uh, the only trouble was uh, all the women had uh, coats on. You couldn't see their, any of their face, face <laughs> or head or nothing. He said he couldn't take that. He had to look at women once in a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know he he, was, uh, he told me that the, the, there was a, a traffic jam going across the bridge from Saudi Arabia to Bahrain on the weekends. He said they all prayed during the week, but then they went and drank in Bahrain on the weekend, and he was right there with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he came home, and then he went back up to Reno to see some friends up there. He stopped by to see me, and he says he didn't know if he's going to go back or not. And I says, why not? He says, because beer was really expensive. I said, well, how much was beer? He said, well, it was 200 a six-pack. I said, dollars? He said, yeah, because they didn't allow it. He says, but I could get it in black market. He says, but I couldn't afford that. And we had to go over to Bahrain to really drink. But he says, I had my own six-pack under my bed. <laughs> he, he was too much, man. I tell you, I love that guy. Yeah. He could have had. He could have been there a long time. He was only there for the, the first season, and and they paid him for the second season. But Jimmy was uh, against uh, some of the doctrine that they had for the junior bowlers. They were, wanted to start a junior program, and Jimmy was against uh, how they wanted to operate it. And they let him. They paid him off to come home. Uh, ahead of time because of the controversy between him and uh, and the Saudi committee. But uh, I, I was on Jim's side. I think it had to do with uh, 
girls being able to bowl or some version of that. And therefore uh, they didn't like, uh, they did, he didn't want it and they didn't want to agree with them. So he came home. <laughs> well, you know, just hanging around with you and listening to you talk to all these bowlers, I learned a whole heck of a lot as far as coaching goes. And I remember going with you when we both lived in Akron and you were on that team that they had. What a great team you guys had. Uh, I'll never forget. You says, come on, watch this bowl. And, and Fred Borden was on that team. And, and just the whole team was great. And I says, well, yeah, I'll, I'll watch. So you says to me, you says, well, you want to be in on the beer frames with us? He said, every once in a while, you, all the guys get a strike. And if some guy doesn't strike, everybody else does. You get a beer frame. I says, all right. You guys had a beer frame every frame for three games. I couldn't stand it. I, I was drunk sitting in the stands watching you. <laughs> yeah. What a team you guys had. Yeah. One of the stories that Borden tells about that particular team was we were bowling that night, like like you were talking about. Anyway, we we had been. I was drinking Jack, and I had a. Uh, I had uh, 12, uh, 11 in a row, something like that. Anyway, every time that I struck, the guys were buying me a, a shot in the 10th frame, and we'd been drinking the whole time. So I took a shot and got up, and I struck. We came back, they had another shot, and I struck. And the last shot they, they gave me, I went halfway up to approach, threw the ball up in the air and caught it, said, gotcha, guys. <laughs> and, then, and then I, and, and then I, uh, uh, I, I think I left a four pin or a solid seven or some ridiculous thing for two ninety nine. But the guy's always kidding me about <laughs> the ball go up in the air and catching it. That well, was a fun I, team. I, that was a fun team. Oh, you guys are awesome. Sukon, is, is he still around, Tom Sukon? Uh, Tommy, I, I, the last time I talked to Borden, he was, uh, you know, he's retired. He's not not throwing the seed anymore, but he was uh, it's still in pretty good shape the last time I talked. About a, about a year ago, I talked to Fred. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, some of those old timers, man, it, it's good to stay in touch with them, Pards. <laughs> You'll find a way, you know, uh, just two of the things that I wanted to tell you about coaching that you taught me, and I'm nowhere near a coach at all, but I remember uh, you telling me about uh, a guy with fall off balance like Walter Ray, and I'd say, how come this guy is so good? He's falling off balance. And you said, yeah, but the bullet is already out of the gun after he threw it, right? So it didn't make any difference what he did after he threw the ball. And, and that was just an unbelievable uh, statement that you made. And, and then you taught me about where accuracy comes from. Everybody thinks it comes from your eyes and your hands and your arm and all that. You taught me accuracy comes from your feet, it, it, where you're sliding, what you're looking at, what you're hitting. Unbelievable, man. Those two tips, uh, I don't even think they're used anymore because I don't think anybody even looks at their feet. They just throw it right and, and rev it up. So those fine fine tools that you you managed to pass along, it helped so many guys, Pards, and those bowling camps were great. 
All right, you got anything right. else about Jimmy you want to say? I know we could talk for hours about him, but yeah, well, Jimmy uh, is uh, is a lost uh, kind of uh, uh, athlete, so to speak. It was uh, in my in my mind today. It's mostly power, but he was a combination of he could finesse and he could power. Uh, the, the, mostly everything I see today is a power game. You know, it, you know, you have to have the speed and you've got to, you know, have to have equipment and so forth. And a lot of times Jimmy would do things like, you know, he might la launch the ball out on, on the lane quite a distance to overcome the surface, or he might take something off of it, you know, yeah. just like a lot of people didn't realize Earl did that a lot. You know, they, they had that ability to finesse that release to, to either take it off or put it on. You know, today it's mostly power. You know, you don't see too much finesse there. You might get a – the finesse is in getting a ball that's weaker to match the, uh, the volume of oil or the surface on the lane. But in those days you didn't have that uh, big weight block and uh, all the friction. So it was a lot to be in – you know, everybody remembers Jimmy because of his power. But when he won the Masters that time from outside, he was taking stuff off of that ball to play that angle. And I, I, I don't think he got enough credit. He got credit as, you know, the, the strong athlete, the power bowler. But a lot of people never realize that playing a fallback shot, you are not, you are not powering the ball. You are finessing that ball. For sure. And he set a record that Masters, too. I'll tell you, he did have power because many, many times he got me in a chokehold in the in the room at the motel. <laughs> One time he got me in the pool. I I thought I was gonna die. He wouldn't let go of me, <laughs> and I can't swim. And he just laughed and laughed and laughed. Finally, he wrung me out and, and threw me back up on the on the sidewalk there by the pool. I I really thought I was dead. And he just laughed. It was funny. But <laughs> so listen, Parge, we're gonna continue doing this. Um, with old timers and, and people that are still with us even. And uh, if you can think of somebody down the road that you would like to talk about again, let me know and we'll line it up and we'll talk about another superstar from the past. If, if that's okay with you. Sounds great. I will keep in touch with you, Pard. All right. And I'll look at the schedule. I'll schedule something and uh, we'll go for it. We'll keep doing this because between me and you, a lot of people have told me that, you know, they'd love to hear that first show. They can't wait to hear it. And uh, between me and you, we're 160 years old. We must know something we want to pass on. So <laughs> I'll be in touch, my friend. All right? All right. Take care, buddy. All right. Well, Phantom fans, that's going to wrap up our show this week. And I can't believe how quickly the time flies in this show. And it's probably why they say it's the fastest show in all of sports. But I want to thank our sponsors, Brad Edelman from the High Roller, the Christman family with Storm Bowling Products, and Dave Kowalski with Action Value, Auto Value, and Bumper to Bumper Auto Parts Stores. He's from Michigan, and he's a former president of the Bowling Coaches Association. So for Phantom Radio, this is the Phantom. When you're down and troubled And you need some love and care
got nothing Well, nothing is going right Close your eyes and think of me And soon I'll